I am ready for the introduction line for one Go. Is that a no? No, we can say no. Yeah. I think he said no. I'm like, well, fuck. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm ready to introduce the sexiest Cuban cost reduction consultant from Florida who lives in Arizona because his wife is there with the longest title on LinkedIn, Luis Fernandez. How we doing? I'm doing good, dude. Ah, uh, man, I was apparently feeling frisky when I filled that out. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that was a uh, automatic <laughs> response to the way I filled yours out last time we had connected together. Like you were like, how can I screw with this guy the most? <laughs> Oh, for all of our listeners out there, welcome to Equality Podcast, Season 1, Episode 4. Our guest today, Luis Fernandez. Luis, thanks for joining us today. Jake, thanks for joining us today. We are going to um, talk a little bit about uh, conflict resolution, how to get people to do what they don't want to do, but you want them to do, all of that good stuff. Um, Why don't we start out with Luis, a little bit about yourself. Tell us about what you do. And, uh... <clears throat> uh, a little bit about me. Uh, I'm a child of uh, Cuban immigrants. And um, I was first in my family to be born in the States. Moved around a whole bunch. My dad was in the Navy, and then uh, I was in the Army. Um, I think to this point, I've lived in three continents, five countries, seven states, and 30-something addresses. Um, so the question of where are you from is difficult to answer, always. Um, and uh, after the military, I went to work for John Deere for a little bit, did uh, some managing assembly line and um, product marketing, and then program management, bringing new products to market and building assembly lines. Um, and now I do cost reduction consulting. So <laughs> I'm part of uh, North America's largest cost reduction consulting firm. We look at specific cost categories and um, help businesses save money. And if we can't save money, we don't get paid. So easy value proposition. Yeah. So just to um, plug Luis a little bit here, um, if you are not working with Luis, you need to change that situation immediately. So if you didn't catch that, they work to save you money. If they don't save you money, they don't get paid. It is a win-win-win. There is no reason not to be working with Luis. And then also I'll throw in there, uh, you recently founded Boss Business One-Stop Solutions. A That's right. A consortium of small business owners that are kind of positioned to solve a lot of different problems at once, right? Hence the one-stop. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think what I found is, is working with different clients and different uh, different businesses, I see a similar pattern um, of, you know, small business owners as they, as you start to scale, um, sometimes you need to, you need to, this balance between resources, resource allocation, money allocation, profit, you know, like there's, there's a lot that you need to do in order to move to the next level. The, the rungs of this ladder are not close. Um, and so business owners recognize this and they end up having to find somebody that can work uh, in a fractional manner to solve a whole series of different problems. They need a fractional CFO, they need a fractional marketing guy, they need somebody to build a website, they may need somebody to do an app, somebody to build some software that's going to solve a problem for them. Um, they need to figure out some costs like, oh, I can't you know, hire somebody on, how do we do, you know, they can't bring people on, they can't do the hiring 
Uh, it's hard to manage payroll books, right? So like all of this stuff, you got to find somebody that's going to solve all these problems so that you can continue to do the, your core business. Yeah, what yeah. appealed to me about Boss is, of course, we're, um, Jake and I, owners of TBH Logistics, and we're right in that target demographic where we're growing, you know, our business and we need, like you said, you know, fractional services. We're, we're not at the size to hire staff to do stuff for us. We just need one thing, two things, and to have, you know, a group of uh, high quality service providers all in one place um, is just awesome. And of course, TBH is a participating member of Boss. Um, so shameless plug for everybody on the call right now. Um, so do business with do business with Boss. Um, thanks for sharing that, uh, Luis. Let's dive into a little bit of the content. What I've found, and I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on this. When I came up, you know, I came up from loading a trailer for Walmart, right? Um, and got promoted probably too quickly. Um, you know, I, I got promoted faster than my skills, right? And then had to like grow into them. Um, and what I found was I could get all kinds of like education on lean, you know, how to do a 5S event, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and not a single thing about how to talk to people, how to resolve yep. conflict, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I think like today's topic is really value add for almost everybody. Um, and even, you know, not to uh, be Captain Negative or anything, but, you know, you get onto um, LinkedIn Learning or, or some of these, even YouTube, and you search like conflict resolution, the chances of you getting something, you know, more valuable than it, uh, what you might read on the back of a cereal box is not very good, right? <laughs> Three I, steps to conflict resolution, right? The, so I'm not sure I'm going to do much better, but I'll try. Uh, but let me just say that I think the problem that a lot of people face, right? Let's say like the example you gave, Lean 5S and do these Kaizen events and the like, those are objective things that we can apply scientific methodologies to, and it will yield objective results, Okay. Two plus two is four. That's, this is, it is something that is tangible. That is, that will have the same result every single time. I can look at how many steps somebody's doing and I move a card or I reduce the size of this and it's going to be fewer steps. That's less time. And I've improved, like, that's it. It's, it's objective. <clears throat> the problem is that people are not objective and they're subjective. In fact, the same person can take the same, the messenger matters, how the message is sent matters, um, the tone in which you say something and the mood of the person receiving the message. All of these things are, are variables <clears throat> that we don't necessarily know how they're gonna react. You know, um, What they did just before they had that conversation with you is gonna affect how well the communication goes. Uh, and I think that's really hard for people to wrap their minds around like, this is a problem that I can't give you an objective solution to. And, and I see it, I've, I've been in leadership since, um, well, probably close to 20 years at this point. And I, I've been through a lot of different courses from military, deer, like all kinds of different organizations. 
and everybody wants to give you like this this conversation flow map or a personality test or you know some profile like oh this is this is the one that's going to work like no it isn't I'm, t- I'm 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 sorry to tell you but it's not like you know i i felt i had a i had a boss that got upset with me i've had actually two one that told me that i had to pick cuz i took the it was the myers briggs thing and i took the test twice and the first time I fell in one spot and the second time I fell in another spot, like it was different because whatever, uh, I'm, I'm on the border of, of introvert and extrovert. <clears throat> and she said, I had to pick one. I'm like, okay. You know, like, okay. It really just depends on what I was doing right before you and I had a conversation. Um, and then I had another one after a different person, it was the disc assessment. And I landed like right in the center on the disc assessment. He said, I cheated. Like I was, I was, I was smart enough to cheat the test. I'm like, <laughs> just, you know, like, or you on. have no personality whatsoever. I have no personality. That's probably, you, I think you got it, Jake. That's right. Yeah. No, I but I do love the, the comment about open-ended systems. I just love all these books about like consciousness and the human brain and deep meeting. And I am a firm believer that if there's more than a hundred books about it, nobody knows what they're talking about. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Leadership. That's probably a fair assessment. Figure it out. Yeah. yeah neuro, neuro-linguistic programming. Or, yeah, if yeah. there was an objective answer, you think it would just be there. You know? mm-hmm. Plenty of other stuff we saw. Like, I mean, here's your, com- your communication vaccine. Now you can talk to people and get the outcomes you want. Well, I like to use the analogy of baseball. You know, when it comes to leadership, you can read all the books you want on baseball and you'll get smarter. But until you get in the batting cage and take pitches, you're not going to get better at baseball. Right. The same way. Like if you want to be good at leadership, you just have to do it over and over and over and take the reps and talk to people um, to develop that skill. There's not, you know, there's, there's some things that I've used that can be helpful. um, But every, every situation is unique and every individual is unique. I was coaching somebody earlier today and he was talking about his, um, career and and wealth building plan and he said now there's this girl right and i said you girl that you can't work that into your business plan you can't work that (laughs) wealth plan like i do not coach on matters of the heart i refuse to because we're fundamentally irrational right um you know if if you have a thing for this girl then you do whatever you're going to do with the girl and work around it but uh, don't make the mistake of thinking that you can plug her into your, you know, wealth plan, um, you know, in your career plan. People don't work that way, right? Yeah. So, of course, he's, you know, on the engineering spectrum of things, right? So, uh, we'll do, do tell us more about the engineering spectrum. Well, you know, um, I, I can make fun of it because of my, you know, my own education and experience, but this, uh, you know, black and white, objective, math-based view of stuff is really, really helpful in some areas and completely irrelevant in other areas. And that other area is, is people. And, uh, you know, you can't engineer leadership. I'm glad that you recognize that. I think it's something that's very difficult for um, people of that type of personality to um, be comfortable. So my, 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 general philosophy one is that the open hand is going to be the more effective leadership methodology um that means that you have a whole lot less control over what's going on you're setting left and right limits um 
which is something that we do in the military, by the way. Uh, so you sit down in a security position <clears throat> and I tell the guy, okay, here's, you're going to go, you're going to, you know, you lay a guy down behind a tree and you say, okay, between that tree and that tree, this is your area. You have responsibility. And if anybody is not supposed to be in there and they get in there, you kill them. Right. And then I leave. So that dude is in complete control between those two posts. I don't have control now. Um, and that's hard uh, when you when you take that, you know, in the in the military sense between a tree and a tree, like that's that's easier to kind of comprehend. But when you're talking about systems and actions and kind of long-term plans or even strategic <clears throat> uh, plans for a business, right? Um, that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around of like, this person is going to have total autonomy, but that's, that's the most effective thing. That's going to make you the most effective leader as well is letting like you're hiring somebody and you're paying them to make decisions, right? That's why you're paying them as much as you pay. Like, you know, you, you're not going to pay somebody a hundred thousand dollars a year to, to just be a monkey that does what you tell them to, like you waste your money, right? Like literally get a monkey to do that. <clears throat> um, so that's, what's most effective in your hiring. You spend all this time, like, doing the interviews and writing, oh, we're going to, we want to get the right, right go-getter for our team, right? And then you don't give them the freedom to be the person that they are and be creative and, and bring in those new things. And, you know, a strong team needs somebody like Jake, who's going to throw a little bit of chaos into the mix. And somebody like John is going to say, okay, uh, let's rail this thing back in and get back to the point that we're trying to do with this podcast, right? <laughs> like, like that's... <laughs> As the public persona labeled me as the chaotic one. If you only knew this guy off of this camera. <laughs> yeah, we're basically like Thor and Loki. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, and you know, there's systems we can put in place too. Like when you when you use that, you know, analogy of left and right control. Um, I take my kids to the park to play, right? And I don't have to tell them to play. And I don't even have to tell them to play on the playground, mm. right? I open the, the car door and, and they just run to the swing set or the sandbox or whatever and they're playing. And all I have to do is sit there and, and sip, you know, beer that I've hidden in my Yeti cup and you know, <laughs> wait for them to get tired, right? In, in the same way, you know, we, we can have boundaries to play in, so to speak, you know, for our team. And if we structure it properly, it's not a burden at all. They want to play in that area, right? Mm -hmm. um, and all of that, you know, comes back to emotional intelligence and, you know, EQ and, and leadership and people skills, as opposed to, you know, knowing how to use the nearest neighbor algorithm or, you know, some other complex math to run your business, right? Right. <clears throat> and it, in, my, uh, in my book, uh, Keep on Leading, um, one of the things I talk about, because I try and do the same, like impart these lessons of, you know, this broad-based uh, brush, something that gives you the freedom to make a decision, um, is is giving uh, is having the right mindset and mentality, and that's what's going to allow you to to sort of control the path uh, of the team. Um, so, you know, being humble, having empathy, um, being willing to give up control, being willing to apologize, to um, to give ground, which is which is kind of you're actually going to gain more ground when you give ground. Um, which is a little bit of, of counterintuitive, right? Like, um, let's say you, you're, having, you're having a conversation with somebody um, 
and and by the way, so let's let's do something objective and actionable here. Um, one of the things I don't like that I see in a lot of leadership discussions is the bad news sandwich. Um, all right, so uh, I'm unhappy with someone, so I'm going to tell them, "Hey, you're really great at this. This sucks, but you're also really good here." Right? Like this, this you make them feel good, and then you trash them, and then you, like I don't like that. I don't do that. Um, I feel like it's confusing. Like somebody leaves there, like, what was? Am I good? Am I? Am, did I do something wrong? Like it, we got to be clear about. You never know where you stand at all. Yeah, yeah. Like I feel like I got my ass chewed, you know. But yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> so we're gonna be clear about the 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 point of the conversation, but we're gonna we're gonna wrap this in the goals that that person has, right? So part of the problem is that you actually have to know your people. Um, so action one is regular one to ones. So one-on-one conversations with your employees. Um, I try to do them monthly for direct reports um, and then two levels down, maybe once a quarter. Um, <clears throat> depends on how many people there are two levels down. You may have to do fewer. Um, by the way, span of control, four to six is generally what's best. Um, so if you're supervising more than six people that are directly reporting to you, none of them really get what they need. But um, I understand why some organizations do that. I just don't think it's a great uh, leadership principle. But let's just say ideal situation, you've got six direct reports and I don't know, what is that? Another 40, um, two levels down. So you're, you're doing a one-on-one -on -one, uh, once or twice every single week. Um, with an employee, this is this is not an opportunity to talk about business. It's not like a task, uh, you know, okay, so what are you working on right now? And talk to me about those. <clears throat> this is more of a get to know them, understand them um, on a kind of a deeper level, what drives them, what motivates them, what are their long-term goals? Where do they see themselves? Um, how happy are they doing what they're doing? Are they enjoying the job? What are the aspects of the job that they enjoy? What are the parts that they don't like? Um, what makes them happy about work? What are the, the problems that they're having with the place? And, and this is gonna really give you strong insight, which is the information that you need in order to have difficult conversations and drive a team forward. So when you're coming in, if somebody did something wrong, um, <clears throat> we're gonna talk about that event. You know, this happened and, and this does not, this doesn't fit in with your goals. Right. When you come in here and you talk to me about where you see yourself and what you want to do and how you want to get there, this kind of action is an impediment to that and it makes the team less successful. Um, so let's talk about how we're going to fix this problem so that it doesn't happen again in the future. And you build a plan together on fixing it. And you get out of there, that, the person actually feels like, okay, there was a productive solution to this and you know, I had a guy one time, and this one is kind of extreme, but I had to fire him and he thanked me on his way out the door, right? We had a conversation about this and I was like, dude, cause he was, he was unsafe. It was the problem with this guy. <clears throat> I told him, it's like, if we keep you here and you keep doing this, you're going to get yourself or somebody else seriously maimed or hurt. You've got a little girl that you're trying to take care of. And this is not the place for you to be because you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to achieve those goals. Um, because you just don't get this. Now, maybe in the future, if you understand it better and you're able to operate this machinery in a safe fashion, then maybe you can come back. But right now, I can't put the, 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 the safety of everyone on this team and you at risk with you being here. Dude said, thanks. I totally understand. This sucks, but you're right. I do need to be around to take care of my family. 
thanked me and walked out the door. Right. <clears throat> Hate those conversations, by the way. Um, yeah, nobody, but, nobody likes them, right? I mean, nobody human likes them, right? Yeah, my ex-wife loves that whole topic. But that's what she will do. You want to kick for comment? So I, I hear a couple of things there. One is um, a little bit uh, sales oriented, right? When you are learning how to sell and pitch, one of the things that you learn is to suppress your own hunger right and desires and present what you're selling you know in terms that meet the customer's needs right and part of the the requirement for that training is just how shitty we've set up sales in this country where you know it's like if you don't sell something you don't get to eat um yeah you know so so you have to suppress that you know first <clears throat> five levels of maslow's hierarchy or whatever you know just to get your pitch across the first um, five so, so, so I, I hear a little bit of that, and the, but the other, uh, you know, the other thing I'm hearing, tell, tell me if you disagree, but I'm hearing. I disagree. Be human. <laughs> but, but you're just talking about being human, right? Like yeah. if, if work wasn't part of it, right? This is how you would talk to somebody, mm. right? And what is it about work that turns us into idiots? Oh, the hierarchical structure, right? So I think there's, uh, you know, when I talk about being humble, um, you know, some of the, the most humble people you're going to meet are, um, you know, like, um, if you go, I don't know if you've ever done jujitsu, but if you go to a jujitsu gym, and um, you, you kind of watch what's going on, what you'll see is that the lower ranking belts tend to be super aggressive and refuse to tap. And, and these are the people that get injured more likely. <clears throat> and then the higher ranking belts, your black belts, typically, I mean, they just seem calm. They're, you know, they're in control, whatever, what happens is, and they're not like, they're not like out there with what they're doing. And sometimes they don't even like wear their belt or, oh, you know, like it's not a big deal for them. Um, so having, having accomplished so much and achieved that goal actually generates them more of a, a humble attitude. Um, they're, they know what they have done to get to that position. And I see it um, in, in the military, you know, uh, guys that had been in serious combat, Rangers, special forces, these types of people, um, you know, you've got your, you got your, there's a few always that are it's crazy, but, <clears throat> but generally, they tend to be calmer and more poised. And, and as the situations get more chaotic, the more calm they get and more in control they get. Um, and they generally don't feel like they have to flaunt who they are, what they've done, or I'm, you know, uh, as my grandfather used to call him, oh, I'm Toshiro Mifune, who's a samurai guy, right? Like they don't feel like they need to show that off, right? So they've got the humility um, as kind of a part of the character for having accomplished something. Um, and I think that a lot of the problems that you'll see in those team environments are ego driven and, and folks that lack self-confidence that have been put into a leadership position and feel they need to assert their power and strength over somebody else. And so I'm the boss. And so you're going to do what I say or else, you know, the, the corporate death sentence, which is firing somebody. And then we never tell anybody about they got fired. 
and you go do that, and you get me this, and you get me that, and who, 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 who? Hey, I just want to say you're the first human being on earth that's got on a face to face with me and go, You've done jujitsu before, right? <laughs> you strike me as somebody who probably has. Like, Thank you very much. But no, no, very, very insightful there because I tend to agree. I think a, a lot, I don't know how to put it charitably, but I think a lot of folks in leadership roles are constantly in this job justification mode. Like, here's why I'm employed here and you're not. And they have to constantly spout that reason, whether it's positional authority or I'm the guy with the ideas or whatever that is. Like, they're in a position where they constantly have to say, here's why I'm doing this. And that just doesn't work. It doesn't work as humans. It doesn't work in any other part of society. But we somehow just tolerated it at work. Yeah, and don't you think some of that stems from, you know, leadership roles that don't have clearly defined, like, here's how you create value. Um, I mean, I've worked in several companies where there were entire layers of management that were completely superfluous. They were not necessary to run that company, right? Yeah, that's, that's precisely it from what I can see. So you get this, I know my purpose and I serve it very well or I don't. That's a very mm -hmm. tiny minimum. And the maximum is, there's not even a really purpose or reason for you to be here to find it all. And just every time there's a problem, it's your problem. And then you get that divergent, you know, industry standards here. What's actually happening is constantly diverging <laughs> from that industry standard. because <laughs> They don't know what their value proposition actually is. Well, and I'd say I'd, I'd add on to that in many cases that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not necessarily their fault. Um, you know, so we, we build an organization um, or we build uh, the, the one-year goals, right? Like you want, you want a business that's going to last you 20 years, but you do annual goals. Like that doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, this is why we've been in Afghanistan for 20 years because we didn't have a 20-year battle plan. We had 21-year battle plans. Um, and we had no strategy that was comprehensive or clear, no end state, nothing defined. Um, and, and everything, every, every mission was defined within what can we accomplish in a 12 month time span. Um, and the same is true in business. And I've seen it, you know, since I got out of the military, everything is, you know, I've, I've put goals out there and I've had, I've had managers tell me, well, you can't accomplish that in a year. Like, yeah, I know. I just started this job. I'm going to be here at least three years. So, you know, I figure by the time I, Oh no, no. But if you put that on there, you're not going to be able to get it done next year. And so it's going to reflect negatively on you. Okay. I guess I won't do it then. You know, like that, that seems kind of silly to me, but we built these structures in, right? Because the, the annual review is going to directly reflect how much money I'm going to make. And so all of your goals have to be these, these little one-year deals. Right? You think Elon, ha he could never get, SpaceX to Mars if he did a one-year plan you just can't you yeah, know so we're a, gonna take this there's like a forest and trees thing and then there's also like serving the tool thing right um we've, we've probably all seen that where you know we do it this way because we've always done it that way kind of <laughs> like the operating system is supposed to serve the business not the business or the operating system so mm. I worked uh, at one site for a company that shall not be named and they tracked their metrics. <laughs> they tracked their metrics on a spreadsheet 
it was 234 pieces of data to enter, about half of which could be derived via calculation and about 98% of which the multi-million dollar ERP system they were using could report automatically. Instead, they had, you know, six-figure employees filling this out every day, of which, you know, three of those metrics were actually used in the operation, right? That's freaking wild, man, you know? Well, <laughs> let me tell you, this is the least wild story I can tell you about this company. Um, but suffice it to say, uh, the if they didn't have bad leadership, they'd have no leadership, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's an example, like, you're serving a tool at that point instead of the other way around. You lost your vision. You don't know what you're trying to do. How do you create value? Because I can tell you putting numbers in a spreadsheet is not creating value. Mm -hmm. And how many times have you used the data in that spreadsheet to create a strategic or tactical plan to improve business outcomes? And the answer is zero. It's never happened. Right. So it's, it's pure waste. <laughs> it, yeah, it, I, I have seen that as well, you know, and, and I think of a lot of, you know, different examples um, in a career of 20 years where I've seen things like this, but also what, what works and generally what works is going to be like the simplest battle plans. Like, you know, when I was learning infantry tactics uh, at, at the infantry school, what I found was it was, it was the same. We are still teaching today, the same maneuvers that, Romans did. Okay. It's a, so you you have a front suppressing operation and then the other guys flank around and then you cross over and then these guys cross over. That's what we teach still today. It works, right? Like we're going to keep it simple. And most of our, our, uh, we call them battle drills. Uh, so it's like a reaction to something. So, so everybody just knows what to do. <clears throat> most of them are some derivation of that simple suppress flank, go across, go across. Right. Uh, it's, it's, you have maybe an, a one or two step differential and then you go into that. Um, and you know, um, I've been surrounded and outnumbered, uh, by enemy forces before and forced to make a decision. And, uh, you know, it was like, okay, well, we need to break contact. We need to get away from the enemy. We need, so, so what do you do when you got to do that? You do the same thing, but you're doing it backwards. So this guy shoots, then these guys move backwards and then they shoot and then you move backwards and then they shoot and you move backwards, right? So you're bounding, <clears throat> but we were able to execute that because that's, what, and then when it's just two guys, one guy shoots and the other guy moves and then this guy shoots and that, you know, so like you bound, it's the same kind of principles um, that form the core base and then and then you execute and everything else. So, so zooming this out, right, to how we do a business application is keeping things simple not having to report on 240 metrics, no one's going to pay attention to. This is just absolutely insane to, to think like that that was a good idea. You know what that was? That was, that was appeasing to everyone, right? And that was, okay, fine. Well, okay, sure. Okay, yes. All right. And we need this. Okay. And I need this. Okay. And I need this. You say yes to everybody. No, like you just say no to somebody at some point. And just like you said, I mean, this is how you say no, right? So let's talk about this in the, in the in the realm of conflict resolution. We're trying to figure out what metrics we're going to report on. So let's start with the end state of what we want to get to. So what is what is our goal? What is our end state? How do we see this in whatever time frame that we set? Hopefully not twelve months, but okay, you know. So whatever the time set time is that we're going to achieve this goal, um, and then we work backwards from there. 
So when somebody says, I need to know such and such, okay, how does that feed into that, you know, this, this end state? And does everyone else need that information as well? You know, no? Okay, then you can look it up. If it matters to you, then you can own that piece and you can look at it and then you can make the decision that you need to make based on that information, but it's not going in the report and I'm not gonna make somebody else report on it, right? And so we, we just kind of narrow this thing down to two or three different things that maybe they change by phase. You know, in phase one, where we're doing product development and tests, we have different, and that's true. I mean, we have different goals, sets, end states, and, and things that we report on versus when we're doing go-to-market activities. It's very different, you know, or continuing operations. These are all different things that you're going to report on in each way. Each way. Um, but don't capitulate to everybody. You don't have to be an asshole about it either. You know, you could just sincerely tell me, okay. And sometimes they may convince you. You may say, okay, all right, we probably do need that, but we only need it between here and here, all right? So at this date, when we reach this gate, when we pass this gate, we'll turn that on. We'll report on it up to this gate and then we'll turn it off. We don't need it anymore. Now, I gotta ask whenever you were retreating from the army under suppressive fire, how many lines did your spreadsheet have? Is this like a 150 range? Is this a 100? Like I just hurry up and fill it out. They're, they're firing now. No, I've yeah. seen a lot of businesses do that, unfortunately. Uh, share a funny story that after John and I had talked about similar situation, I wrote a nice long letter to the EPA. And I was like, you know, in the fight against climate change, have you tried hiring maybe a dozen climate change analysts and their full-time job is to manage one Google sheet that has more tabs than any human could possibly get through in an eight hour shift. And it's color coded with every color of the rainbow to mean different designations and have them aggressively updated as it relates to climate change. And the first time something actually happens, blame it on them and go, well, we tried. We have analysts updating the spreadsheet. <laughs> you know, they so did I, not, I nobody through. responded to me from the EPA. Nobody enjoyed that letter. I sat through the OSHA 40 hour course um, and I got this book, right? The, the OSHA book that's like this big. And so the guy's like doing his class and I ask questions because I look at problems through that lens of how does this help us get to the end state? Like what is our stated goal, right? And OSHA stated goal, in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong, but for me, when I look at the, the reason for the organization is to um, reduce safety, uh, not safety, reduce injuries on the workplace. And, you know, maybe that's too simplistic, but whatever it is today, the OSHA's job is to get it lower. But they don't track that metric. Yeah. That's, that's not how they track their success. You know how the, the guy posted up how many fines they gave out, and that was how they track success. And, I, and so I asked the question, I was like, all those people that got fined, did their safety metrics improve? I was like, well, I don't know. It's like, so what's the point of the fine? You know, like, how, why are we celebrating the number of fines that we give out? And then later on in the class, he was talking about, oh, you'd be nice to them because they can always find something. I was like, of course they can find something. Look at the size of this book. Like, it's impossible to be 100% in compliance 100% of the time. You just can't. You know, there's going to be something. And they ex ex acknowledge that. Oh, yeah, if they want to, they will find something. What's the point? You know, like, that's not... <laughs> Well, that doesn't achieve it. To circumvent Congress's Appropriations Committee, you know, they have to fund their work <laughs> somehow, you know. Um, 
But you bring up, you know, an interesting point, you know, talking about conflict resolution, how to get people to do what, you know, maybe they don't want to do. Um, Jake and I were talking about uh, positivity the other day, it could, because we both get itchy and scratchy when we read some of this bullshit online about, you know, that, you know, uh, your energy is going to attract like energy. <laughs> you know, and, it, but on the other hand, there is a little bit true. <laughs> there's a lot of power to uh, positive um, attitude, but positive attitude, the way that I put it is positivity is not sprinkling rose petals on the horse shit. It's giving somebody a shovel, right? Pretending yep. the issues don't exist is not positivity. Oh, it's fine. Let's all just get along and sing Kumbaya. No, there's real issues we have to work out, but I believe in you. Here's a shovel, start shoveling, right? So, so uh, fun story. I was, uh, I was working for John Deere at the time and um, I was a product manager for the Round Baylor product line. And I had an idea and I was looking at the marketplace and I said, hey, you know, one of the things is that New Holland is able to beat us and our competitors are using the edge on the lower end of the spectrum uh, at a price point. They're getting into the market and then they're starting to expand up. And we made most of our money at the top end. And so nobody really paid attention to it. And I was like, we need a we need a new product, uh, a net wrap baler on the low end. And and I got told by literally everybody we've tried this. The, the numbers never pan out. You can never make it work financially to do a product this way. Um, and so I had this wild idea that I could make it work. And I told the lady that was in charge of all the program managers and, and I gave her my, my idea. And she's like, that's pretty wild. Um, here's what I'll do. I'll let you run the program. And if it fails, I'm gonna hold you accountable. Um, and if it works, I make no guarantees. And I said, okay, sure, that works. <laughs> So, so I set out to create a new product with no testing, um, to use only things that we have already tested and just put them, configure them together in a different way, um, and focus purely on a cost basis. Um, and, you know, so one of the first things we did was we took, we took the next level up Baylor outside me and the lead engineer, and we just started pulling parts off of it. It was like, does it need this right hand door? He's like, we can't take the door off. He's like, why not? He kind of looked and he's like, this is going to look stupid because it's going to have like one side's going to be bigger than the other. And I was like, so how much money do I save by taking off that door? Like, oh, about 300 bucks a pop. Get it out of here, right? Like we're talking about what's our end goal, right? And, and do this. Um, so in the end, we got this product out. Uh, it's the 459E Baylor. You could look that one up um, in, uh, I think it was eight months and like less than half a million dollars in R&D spend um, to get this thing out. Uh, and this is the entire time of this project being told that it's not gonna work as it's passing gates. Like we're getting, we're passing all of these places and I'm being told it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work. So I get to this one lady who's in charge of the parts um, development process. And there's, you guys probably know, and I don't really wanna get into it, but there's a whole process of like getting a part to a spot. And um, so I came to her with this thing and she said, absolutely no way. Cause if you think about it, we're going to market in eight months. That means our first build 
is like five months away. Um, and she's like, there's absolutely no way. It's not physically possible to do this. It's impossible. And I said, okay. She's like, oh, you're going to have all of these problems. And I'm writing stuff down. I said, okay, tell me this. In the, in the process of getting these, let's talk about what I would have to do in order to get it done. Just, just theoretically, hypothetically, give me, she wanted to be a naysayer. So I was like, okay, I'm going to let her be a naysayer. I said, just tell me all of the problems that I'm going to face, all the challenges and all the reasons why it's not going to work. And she just started listing stuff out and I was writing it down. And, uh, you know, at the end of it, I was like, okay, so basically what you're telling me is I'm going to have to hand walk every single part from the engineer's desk to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. It's like, yeah, you're going to do that for 500 parts. I guess so. And I did. <laughs> for 500 bucks. <laughs> and I think that's a great example, you know, of overcoming objections and, you know, resolving conflict with true positivity, right? Which is, you didn't try to spin it. You just decided that you were going to win, right? Um, and there's, in this case, it applied kind of to you as an individual, but there's an incredible power in teamwork when you present something difficult to your team as something difficult and then tell them, I believe in you, you're going to do this and we're going to win together, particularly if you engage with them, right? Um, I have seen individuals literally transformed and their entire life trajectory change just after a couple of interactions because I actually believe in them. And here's a 40-year-old guy who's you know, driving a forklift in a warehouse who has been told you were born in this part of the city, you know, to these parents or this one parent and, you know, it only got this far in school and you're going to, you know, be poverty struck for the rest of your life and you're not really good for anything. You know, you're a net drain on society. Change their life around just because one leader stepped in and said, bullshit, you're right. going to win. I'm going to be right here with you, but we're going to win together. I asked my team, this was at a, a large uh, factory, and my team was about 40, 40 folks. I said, what did the guys who stormed in Normandy have that you don't have? And they just kind of looked at each other, right? And I said, nothing. Sure, they had training, they had equipment, they had gear. I said, but deep down inside, they were just dudes. They had a really impossible, scary task, and they knew, they were told, most of you aren't coming home from this. And they did it anyway. I said, you have all of that in you already. They weren't given that. It's you as an individual. That's what you bring to the team. Leadership approach that doesn't, you know, paper over the horse shit, but gives somebody a shovel. It can be really powerful to the individuals on the team. They may never have thought of themselves that way before. And Jake, I think you have some stories on, on this too, right? I, I have a lot and I'm actually, I'm going to give you a John Thacker Supreme just because it's just because it's such a good one that's close to my heart. So I've always been this CI minded, what's the system I'm actually going to change to make stuff better. And I get incredibly jealous when the idea is not mine, personal defect. I'm on the glide path. I'm trying to learn, but I had an interaction with a business where we would constantly run into the wall like almost daily, one of my 1,000 team members would take their equipment and just bam, right against the wall. Every time our policy was, you're going for a drug test, here's your attendance points. If it happened twice, you're gone. 
by whatever reason, whether it's a small facility, large, whatever the defect was, somebody was hitting that wall, let's see, like nearly daily. And so after rotating through 500 members of staff and starting to interact with John a little bit, John looked at it one time, the first time we looked at it together. And he's like, so we're going to put a bumper right here. And then if people hit it, good on them. <laughs> and nobody has ever had an accident ever again over this like very simple solution that just confuddled everyone else. Like, who do I have to fire to get somebody good enough not to hit that wall? I'm like, have you tried just putting in a fucking bumper? Like that just took me back so much that the, that continues to be how I live today. Okay. And there's so, a bumper so, in my toilet seat at home. There's a bumper. I, I put this story, I put the story <laughs> in your toilet seat. That's a good, that's a good place. So you don't, yeah. Um, I put this one in my book as well, this, this story that I'm about to tell you. And it, and it was told to me, I don't know how true it is, but um, I heard it, I thought it was hilarious and it was perfect. And it's just like what you're talking about. And so there was this, there was this toothpaste factory and they were having a problem where the actual uh, toothpaste wasn't making it into the box. So they were shipping empty boxes, okay? Now, as you know, like that costs a lot of money especially when it happens very often, then you've got refunds and you've got chargebacks and you've got your shipping, you're paying to ship emptiness, you know, uh, and you lose the packaging. So the owner goes to his engineers and said, I need you to solve this problem. And like, I don't want another empty box ever to leave this factory without the toothpaste inside. And so they do this hyper-engineered, scale on this assembly line and this is you know imagine toothpaste it's very fast assembly line your tack times are fractions of a second and 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 they've got this scale that's able to you know figure out and it'll stop the assembly line and set off an alarm and somebody has to come and find which of the boxes the one that's empty and get that off the scale and then they can restart and so they spent i don't know however many millions of dollars to put the scale in and the day starts and uh, within a few minutes the alarm goes off the employee goes over there and they start over again and then the alarm goes off and the employer goes over there and they start the thing again. And all throughout the day, you're hearing this alarm go off. And then right about after lunchtime, the alarm doesn't go off again for the rest of the day. They're like, what? what's going on? How is that possible that the problem just solved itself? And we don't, we don't like, we, it went off like seven times before lunch and now after lunch it's not going off at all. Like we better go down there and check and see what's going on. Maybe the scale's broken, something or other. And they get down there and what do they find It's that the employee that was working there got tired of having to go over and find this empty box. So she grabbed a big ass fan, put it right in front of the scale. So if there was an empty box that came by, the air from the fan would blow it off of the freaking assembly line. So there was a collection of empty boxes. <laughs> a $20 fan was more effective than their multi-million dollar scale solution. And that is just like your little bumper of this is going to happen. Put a bumper there, put a fan there. So the takeaway if, is if you annoy employees enough and they solve problems for you. Is that <laughs> <laughs> the second takeaway, if you are not a big ass fan of shipping emptiness in your boxes, you should probably reach out to Jake or John so we can discuss warehouse and packaging supplies. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, the final, uh, my final takeaway from that is how can we get a higher quality fork truck operator? <laughs> you know, I would be so terrified to have Luis as like the warehouse manager and him go, all right, there's the rack and there's the truck. This is your area of responsibility to load that truck. 
If somebody gets between you and that truck, kill them. <laughs> I, oh my God. Oh my God. All right, so let's recap really quickly. We're coming up on an hour already. Um, so the first thing that we talked about was develop real relationships with your people, not like mm -hmm. an annual review or something. Um, avoid the compliment sandwich and instead orient it towards the individual employee's goal. And I think that ties in with the don't sprinkle, you know, rose petals on the horse shit, but give somebody a shovel, right? Mm -hmm. um, these are all effective methods for overcoming resistance, dealing with conflict, avoiding conflict to begin with, right? General leadership. Any other takeaways that we want to leave the audience with today? Well, it's real important to know at the, at the end of that, that it is a subjective theoretical approach that changes with the individual. It is not in objective black and white. Just like I texted you during this call, I texted, I love you 68%. Like life just doesn't work that way. It does not. And so a subjective approach that takes into part what they value is generally the best way forward. I couldn't agree more. Good takeaways for uh, everybody. Luis, we really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Um, how can folks get in touch with you? Uh, my social media home is LinkedIn. Um, and I'm very active on there. Um, I tend to go there because my customers are on LinkedIn. Um, I'm looking for businesses. So if you're looking for me, that is the place to find me. All right. Well, we will, of course, put the links in the video as per usual. Uh, Luis Fernandez, you are expert in helping you save money. Also, the president extraordinaire of Business One Stop Solutions, boss, well-named. Luis, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, gents. Bye, everybody.